I wonder how many years you'd have to commit if you challenged yourself to watch every romantic movie ever made. But here's the crucial question. Would watching all those movies actually teach you anything valuable about true love? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Ain't love grand. Yeah, well, that's what we think, but sometimes it can be awfully painful. And in the studio today, we have a young lady who's been through a bit of both in the not too distant past. It's Mary Ellen Fairfax. How are you, Mary Ellen? I'm really well, Kent. How are you going? Excellent. Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. Thank you. It's an honour to be here. Tis the season to uh, talk romance, you know, Valentine's Day and all, all this sort of stuff. So... We thought, yeah, well, you know, you're a, a young young woman with stars in her eyes, and if anyone knows about romance, surely it is the the, the <laughs> passion of of the young. So you wrote a fantastic article oh, for us in the, in the Jan Feb Signs of the Times called "The Secret to True Romance." <laughs> so. Um, Wow, you know, stop the press. Oh, yeah, clickbait titles are my my, um, my speciality, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, before we go any further, let's uh, get to know you a, a little bit. You've been on before, haven't you? I have. It I was ha- you and, and Jess Krause Jess together, Krause. both doing, you were both doing law media. Both doing law media, or law comms media, I think she was doing. But anyway, close, yeah, close. We're close. <laughs> we related on many levels because of that, yeah. Yeah. What were we talking about that time? Oh, goodness. I think we were talking about loneliness and uh, social media addiction and how the two are very interlinked, oh, right. which was an interesting discussion. Okay. We're talking about loneliness, which is why you had Jess and you in the studio. We were not Keep lonely. each other company. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> crammed in here. <laughs> but, it, but it is just you today. Um, so hopefully you're not feeling lonely at, at the market. It's okay. It's yeah, all good. It's good. all good. <laughs> But yeah, the secret to true romance, Valentine's Day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Have you got any plans for uh, this uh, Valentine's Day? Oh, goodness. I I don't yet. I guess it's, see, the thing is my my boyfriend um, currently, he's the one who makes the plans. I'm really bad at planning, you know, Mm -hmm. things will just, as I explain in the article, things always tend to go wrong. Like I'll forget to book a restaurant or it'll Mm -hmm. rain or whatever happens. So I've just left it up to him to make those plans and he loves (laughs) doing that. So That's great. Just a a tip, never refer to your boyfriend as my current boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Uh, Freudian slip there. <laughs> oh, that's good. I love it. I love it. So just to summarise, yes. you have just finished your university studies. I have. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Very exciting. You're now working with Adventist Media here mm-hmm. in Sydney, mm-hmm. a, a colleague of mine, but working on our one of our sister magazines, Adventist Record. Adventist Record. Yeah, I'm the right. assistant editor for Adventist Record, which is a huge honour and um, I'm loving it every minute of it. There so. you go. Yeah. So, so writer, passionate young person and someone who knows the secrets of true ra- <laughs> oh, romance. Well, hold hold we'll on, see. people. Hold on, people. <laughs> you're you're going to find out. So um, when it comes to, you know, love and marriage mm. and romance and all that sort of stuff, how were your perceptions shaped? Like as a, as a child, you know, growing up, Seeing family members, uh-huh. you know, friends, families, other people around you, what you know, what what shaped oh, your views? You're going to Sigmund Freud on me here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tell us about your childhood. Oh yeah, so let me lie down in your chair. Yes. Um, what was your relationship with your mother? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. I oh wow, I think um, growing up, 
a lot of people that I saw, a lot of my friends at school, mm-hmm. I'd see their parents around the campus and, you know, they'd drop their, my friends off at school mm-hmm. and they'd give them a kiss or give them a hug and then the parents would kiss and hug and things. And I always thought that was kind of weird. I guess my parents, you know, happily married for 25 plus years, so no problems there, but they've never been that affectionate. And growing up, I, you know, I saw them kiss a few times and and hug and things, but it was never, it was never this, you know, whirlwind romance sort of a fairy tale with Uh my parents, which I think is probably a common story. Okay. So they're a little more reserved when it comes to physical effect, but but it's certainly your, okay. So your family, your family's a little more, a little more reserved and that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But well, is it cool for you though? I mean, are you, are you naturally more clingy, more huggy and that has been (laughs) suppressed in you? It definitely was suppressed. And growing up, I always found it very uncomfortable hugging people and showing affection. Mm. So I've become much more of a words of affirmation sort of a person rather mm-hmm. than a physical touch. Also, I thought anyway, until I got my first boyfriend and realized that I'm actually quite affectionate. I just was repressed all my childhood. <laughs> oh, there you and of course, nothing against my parents. Like that's how they are. And I don't resent them for it or anything like that. Yep. But it's been, yeah, the self-discovery journey, I suppose, okay, in that way. Wow, coming of age. Yes, yeah. There we go. But that's interesting mm. to grow up and learn that about yourself. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Okay. And look, you probably don't want to, you know, name and shame here, but no. <laughs> um, but boyfriends, boy, boyfriend, like, what's what's your? You said you did have a boyfriend. Discovered you're a, a bit of a hugger. So yeah, what, yeah. What sort of age and what sort of experience are we talking about here? So not extensive, which is good. I'd rather not have too much heartbreak. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> There's a little bitterness and cynicism there. That's not what I mean. That's what I intend. <laughs> more boyfriends means more heartache. Well, it does, doesn't it? Because you you got to break up with each. We got to break up with each of them. Exactly. That's, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Well, they say your first is always your hardest breakup, and I think mm-hmm. I'd agree. So yeah, my first boyfriend was at 18. I just graduated high school and mm-hmm. was sort of swept up in this, you know, romantic. Oh, he's everything. He oh, ticks I, all my boxes. I'm all grown and, up now. Oh, I'm all grown I up. Know yes. everything, yeah. I can even drive by myself now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that lasted for nearly four years. So happy for probably... Wow. So first boyfriend was pretty serious. Pretty serious. Four years. Yeah. Wow. I remember um, when he first asked me out, our like first, you know, would, would you want to be my girlfriend? I was like, yes. But I said to him, I said, but you know, you're not allowed to break up with me, right? You're not allowed to break my heart. Oh. Foolish 18 year old Melon. Oh my heck, goodness. Heck, heck. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so, so it's like, if you ask me out, this is... This is it. Th- this is tantamount to... Marriage. A, an eternal commitment. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is wow. a very foolish way of thinking, I think. But there's a lot of pressure in Christian circles, at least my mm. church that I attend, mm. to be married young and to, you know, date for a short time, be engaged for a short time and start your life, you know, have kids. Mm. Sort of the narrative. Is there pressure to be married young or is there just pressure not to have sex before you're married. I mean, is, is that really what, what it's about? <laughs> See, it's a bit of a catch-22 because there's both. Yeah. So there's right. pressure to be married young, but there's also pressure to not have sex before marriage. But the issue with getting married young is that people can't afford it. You know, you can't afford yeah, to move out yeah. of home. You haven't graduated university yet. So by the time you do graduate and you can make something of yourself, you're usually like 24, 25 mm-hmm. or so. But yeah, that's not really young in the church anymore. You're kind of sitting on the shelf at that age, which is (laughs) quite confronting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Your congregation sounds a little different to uh, mine. Oh, uh, oh, tell uh, me about yours. Well, yeah, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, there are still some kids who get married relatively young, but it doesn't seem to be a, a, a... that common necessary and certainly there's no one's pressuring them to get married young oh that's good but i do wonder you know if they are getting pressure hey you two like you know Mm. keep it 
keep it appropriate before mm, before mm, marriage, mm. there's a little bit of, well, heck, if we got married, then we could do whatever we wanted. <laughs> um, so maybe sometimes young people do like rush in because of church pressure. For the wrong they do, reasons. They do rush into marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't really want, want to go <laughs> there tangent, yeah. ne- necessarily. But so through, through these experiences of like your family, seeing your friend's family mm, or what, mm. How did your perception of romance and, and love develop? And I think yeah. in your article, you talk about a sort of the Hollywood dream as well. That must, yeah. have, must yeah. have played a role. And of course, the Hollywood dream paints a, from an ethical sex before marriage point of view, paints <laughs> a, a completely picture. opposite picture. Yeah, so you have these yeah. really clashing worldviews coming there. So how did you, like, through all that turbulence and competing ideas, how, what ideas mm. were formed in you? Oh, goodness. Yeah, so... I suppose it's sort of a twofold influence here. I'd say there was a talk on the playground at school, you know, oh, what is romance like? Oh, does he like me? Does she like her, him? You know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And right, then there was... Right back to primary school. Right back to primary school. You know, yeah, even in yeah. prep, there's, you know, who's boyfriends, who's girlfriends? So that was a very young age. It was sort of ingrained into me that that mm. was a thing that happened. Well, you were very restrained to wait till 18. Oh, early. thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Self-control. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously there's the Hollywood narrative that is in most movies, you know, rom-coms and things. And yeah, that narrative basically says that if you're pretty enough, if you're, and and this is the thing, I sort of always had this idea that there was this implicit sort of competition between females because of this Hollywood sort of Mm, narrative, mm -hmm. because if you're the best, then you get the best and you fall in love and you have the perfect fairy tale. Right. And so when, yeah, growing up, you know, it was always, oh, is she into the guy I'm into? And is he into the girl that she's like, a lot of competition because Mm. people are sort of fighting to get the best the best boy or best girl that's available without wow. realizing that a lot of the time you can be the best girl and you can be the best boy but that doesn't mean you're compatible and that's when it all falls apart because you you say oh you know he ticks all the all the boxes on my list and she ticks all the boxes on my list so it must work mm. and that's why I was in a relationship for 4 years because you know we were both sort of Alpha male, alpha, alpha female. Ma- well, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> toot my own horn here. But, <laughs> but, you know, we both had things going for us. And mm. so on the outside, it looked like a perfect relationship. Mm-hmm. But we never realized that we were actually fundamentally very incompatible. Mm. And so I think Hollywood doesn't really take into consideration what lurks below the surface. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hollywood often does have fun with a, a sort of a clash of personalities and a clash of backgrounds. and y- That's true, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But And sparks fly and that's what makes the movie fun, you know? Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. the end, they, you know, this attraction sort of overwhelms all their differences and everything's wonderful. Logic flies out the window and it's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow, okay. And, and so, like you said, I mean, there are, I guess, in a lot of, you know, romantic movies, there are a lot of scenes where, look, the candlelight is just perfect. There are twinkle mm. lights everywhere. There are rose petals falling from some <laughs> mysterious place. <laughs> you, 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 you know, yeah. you're, you're in a rowboat and the light is reflecting off the water. And there's and music mysteriously playing right. in the background. Wow. Every, everyone is dressed, like, incredibly and looks mm. just, like... So million swag in, oh, yeah. in what they're wearing. <laughs> swag. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Is, is that a word? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm oh. trying to relate to, to the kids here. Yeah, yeah no, you look, it was a word maybe 10 years ago. Oh, okay. You're trying, Ken. <laughs> it's, it's, I admire you, <laughs> your attempt. <laughs> okay. And it's funny, like you see in social media, people try to replicate this. Like, Have you, oh. you, have you seen like, on YouTube those... Um, uh, those proposals, mm-hmm. and it's like the whole marching band, the entire fire department is there, like 
with hoses into the air making a rainbow over the yeah. scene or, or, or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah. what the heck? And on top of that, they're paying, you know, a couple of thousand dollars to a photographer to be there to yeah. actually capture it all on camera. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pressure. I've actually had this conversation with my current, again, current boyfriend, but I only call him my current boyfriend because in the article I'm talking about my ex. So yeah, <laughs> just yeah, to yeah. clarify him. Yeah. yeah, his name's Josh. And he's sort of had this conversation with me. He's like, what are your expectations for an engagement one day? And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, oh, goodness. And it really made me reflect because there is just so much competition and pressure when it comes to Mm. engagements and, you know, you have all these expectations. And if he just decided to, you know, go out for dinner and get on one knee and there wasn't a camera there, I'd probably be a little disappointed. And I hate to say it because I actually Mm. resent that part of me for having those unrealistic expectations. I mean, my son uh, just got engaged not very long ago. He did, yeah. And yeah, he organized a photographer. And I'm like, (laughs) what the heck? What is going on with you kids? He did a good job then. (laughs) And then then a a mutual friend of ours broke up with his girlfriend a year or so ago. And that whole experience was mediated through social media too. You know, who has unfriended who, who has Mm -hmm. taken whose pictures off whatever platform. Mm -mm. Whoa, the whole thing, you know, and then what do I do in a breakup? You you jump on, you find the listicle that says, you know, the right things to do as you break up and you're you're reading the online articles, getting the advice. And and I'm like, wow, this entire breakup Mm. has been mediated online. It's no longer something that happens between two people. It's something that happens between communities and like Mm. even strangers. Because I know when I broke up, I was looking at videos online, you know, how to get back with your ex and people were giving me advice and like forums and things about how to get over it. And it's just, it doesn't really give you the space to grieve genuinely because there's Mm -hmm. all this, you know, pressure on you to uh, get over it quickly or to, you know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. People are sort of taking sides and things and that's never a healthy environment and social media perpetuates that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes you just need to feel it. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in in your article, Mary Ellen, you you tell a uh, a tragic tale. Let's let's face it. A tragic tale of a Valentine's Day that kind of went wrong. Oh, yeah. To walk walk us through that. If if you can relive the trauma for us just just uh, one more time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, this is going back probably three or four years ago now. Mm-hmm. I guess to retell what I've written in my article a little bit, but, you know, please That's read okay. the article look, look, still. Pe- people who are listening to us may not have read the article. Yes. People who read the article may not to hear this, but we'd like them to get both. You know, okay. get, get full value, double barrels. Okay, good. Know. So, n- no spoilers. Excellent. <laughs> no, no, no. Go, go ahead. Spoil, spoil away. Yeah. So, I think it I think it was 2015 or 2016. You'd have to check the article. But mm-hmm. um, we went to, it's called Converge. It's like a young Christian camp for mm-hmm people that basically want to meet each other, but mm-hmm. I'd already met someone and we went together. Mm-hmm. Valentine's Day just happened to fall on one of the days that the camp was on. And I knew this going there and I bought a gift and I was all ready to go. But on the morning of Valentine's Day, I woke up and I was so excited because I was going to, you know, walk along the beach with him and give him a kiss and give him the get Valentine's. I had this great uh, narrative in my head of what it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Just so happened that I'd forgotten the gift. And I was pretty devastated and I felt like my heart just sunk because there was all these expectations. Yep. And, and, and um, you, you say this has been a little bit of a pattern for you. Like when, when you oh, try to be romantic, terrible. there's some key it's detail. Just, yeah. <laughs> just gets, look. <laughs> my, my, my favorite one is is when you're in that, that quiet sort of moment of expectation and suddenly your stomach gurgles. 
<laughs> Happens all the time, guys. <laughs> it's, it's sorry. I, I, I think it's funny, but I do I do see how it could be a bit of a, a mood killer. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Yep. Okay. So so on this occasion, you mm. forget the Valentine's Day present. Oh, so yep. what's the what's the solution here? So it was a bit awkward because I'd come with my ex in his car. So who, I had who, who was your boyfriend? Who at was the time? my boyfriend at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, a bit complicated. <laughs> and so I had no way of going shopping anywhere to buy something on the day because mm, you're at no like a beachside, beachside sort of in the middle of whoop whoop campground. Yeah. Yep. So it was probably twenty minutes to the nearest shop, let mm. alone shopping center. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But there was a petrol station that I was kind of within walking distance. So mm-hmm. I said, oh okay, I will go there and I will buy something for mm. him uh, naturally as. I want to you know, mediate right. the losses as much as possible. Five, five liters of, of ultimate um, <laughs> petrol. Happy no? Valentine's Day. Ultimate 98. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's actually not such a bad idea now that, you, now that you mention it. But yeah, so I had a look through and the best thing that I could find was um, an expired box of chocolate. So I didn't, I didn't buy that. Oh, oh dear. And I went back empty handed and I said, look, I'm so sorry, but I've forgotten the gift. And... Mm-hmm. I'm like, it was our first Valentine's Day and that's the thing. So there was all this pressure and we'd been together almost a year by this point. Mm. And Um, had he bought you a gift? Yeah. He'd bought me this really pretty ring, kind of like jewelry and it was Pandora and it was, yeah, lovely gift. So, so how did, so, so (laughs) were you, were you met with grace and understanding for your, um, Mm. your slight mistake of leaving the <laughs> gift at home. I mean, it was there. You could give it to him when, you know, when, yeah. you, when you got back from the camp. Yeah. Look, with as much grace as he could muster, he extended that. Mm-hmm. But let's just say it was, oh, it, it was a very it, awkward time from then it, it, on. It was an effort to extend that much grace. It was an effort, <laughs> to yes. To muster that much grace. Yeah. And there were sort of, you know, backhanded uh, comments made mm. and sort of like, well, you know, I would do this for you, but you forgot the gift. And I'm like, oh, Ooh. I'm sorry. I'm he, sorry. He wasn't going to let you forget it. Then. No, no. Obviously, like nothing against him. We were 18, 19. So. Mm. And he was obviously looking forward to it. This yeah, is something exactly. a bit, there was a lot of build up for him. There was too. a lot of build up. And that's the thing. Again, with Hollywood, mm. there's expectations mm. and often they're very unrealistic. And what do you read into that? I mean, maybe she doesn't care that much about me. I mean, she doesn't care enough to even mm-hmm. check bef- as she packs her bag. Yeah, which is a very know. understandable emotion to experience at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. But look that that would have been tough and and so I guess in some ways what your uh, the picture of romance you developed in your head mm. took a little bit of a beating that day by the sound of it. Yeah, I guess so. And I thought that I was very wise at the time mm-hmm. because I sort of expected that you know what this is a reasonable reaction to have to such an experience, um, mm-hmm. a forgetful experience. Mm-hmm. And so we stayed his reaction. His reaction to my forgetfulness is reasonable. And from that point on, the relationship slowly started going downhill, but we stayed together for another almost three years after that. Wow. But the thing is, I sort of rationalized everything, being a young Christian girl with a lot of pressure to Mm. get married and and that sort of thing. And this expectation that you're Mm. never allowed to break up with me. Oh, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Yeah. It's sort of perpetuated and things got worse and to the point where we just sort of started resenting each other, but we still stayed together because that's what you do. And um, if I had just sort of, I don't know, taken a moment and just reflected on what had happened and his reaction, my reaction, and sort of our incompatibility at that point at the campground. Mm -hmm. And I'd broken up and just said, you know what, look, I'm sorry, but this isn't going to work because Mm -hmm. of X, Y, Z. I had a bunch of reasons, but I didn't Mm -hmm. want to face them. I would be a lot happier for it and I would Mm -hmm. have been able to grow as as a person, but... 
But no, because of the pressure, again, um, yeah, you just, you stay together. Mm. So It sort of feels like failing, doesn't it? It, it, it does, yeah. Uh, it feels like that if that relationship fails, it makes you feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. You think, you know, now I look like an idiot because yeah. I went into this. I thought we had it sorted out. Clearly mm. we didn't. Mm. There's guilt and there's shame. And I think mm. when relationships break up, it's very, very difficult to only experience the guilt of, oh, I failed. Mm-hmm. But naturally, 99% of the time I see girls and and guys that internalize it and go, I am a failure. I have shame Mm. surrounding this. Mm. And and, and shame is a social thing, isn't it? Shame implies that there are family and friends looking on Mm. going, oh my goodness, what Mm. happened? What Mm -hmm. have you done? And half of them are saying, you did what? You broke up? You guys were perfect. And the other half are saying, oh, I can see this happening all the way along. You know, why (laughs) didn't you say anything? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So shame. Wow. Mm. So to get to the nub of the issue, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Miss Mary Ellen Fairfax, (laughs) you, you claim, you make the ambitious claim in the title of your article that you are going to reveal the, the secret to true romance. (laughs) So, um, so what, what is it? What, what is the secret to true romance? Well, I mean, please read the article for a much more summarized and probably better, um, Enunciated version of what I'm about to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, what I've discovered is that emotional vulnerability is the key to true romance, and with emotional vulnerability comes forgiveness. I suppose it it really takes on a biblical model because First Corinthians thirteen verse four to eight, the classic verse, it says, "You know, love is patient, love is kind, mm-hmm. it isn't self seeking, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, etc." Unless you have the emotional vulnerability to say, "You know what, I failed, and I need you to accept me and accept me anyway." When you realize that you are deserving of love and the love that God mm. extends to you, then it's a lot easier to sort of let go and be like, well, if you're not going to extend that love to me, and if I am unable to extend that love to you, then we're just incompatible and we need to let it go. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but emotional vulnerability, being able to stand emotionally naked in front of your partner and mm-hmm. share all of your weaknesses and flaws. And the issue with, with my ex was that because we had this sort of narrative that we were, you know, ticked all the boxes with each other. We had a lot going for us. There was a lot of unspoken pain and a lot of unspoken shame in mm. in the relationship because I would sort of resent him for not opening up to me and then he'd resent me for not opening up to him. And Which was a response to him not opening well, up to Well, it just, yeah, 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 it's like a negative cycle. It just spirals out of control. Okay, so, so vulnerability. So, mm. Let me take it back a bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like when people married, we sort of joke, oh, now you're going to let yourself go. Now you're going <laughs> to let it all hang out. You, you, right, you, yeah, you, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that sort of makes the assumption that up to that point, you've mm-hmm. been on your best behavior. You've mm-hmm. been holding back all your personality quirks, you know, mm-hmm. n- not to mention your you know your burps and your, uh, <laughs> tummy rumbles and, yeah, yeah. That, that's you know you, you try to appear as something you try to appear as a perfect person your table manners are perfect you always mm. you know speak in a lovely manner and never show mm. any anger or difficult emotion mm. and then later you get married and it all comes out yeah um, that <laughs> is that your your story again or? no but that that, that, that is mm. is a sort of a, a perception and a stereotype isn't it yeah. but you're talking about being emotion emotionally vulnerable up front up so when you're even considering going into a boyfriend mm. girlfriend relationship with someone mm. what does being emotionally vulnerable involve at that stage like what do you say what what mm. do you do to not put up this sort of facade you know this fake 
persona that you hope that the other will fall in love with because right. you don't actually want them to fall in love with a fake persona do you well do you? exactly you want them to fall in love with you yeah i mean it's you. exhausting to fall in love with a fake persona <laughs> that's a question that i can't answer for everyone i can mm-hmm. answer it for myself mm-hmm. to be upfront and emotionally vulnerable with someone requires well first of all expressing your history and sort mm-hmm. of where you've been, the mistakes you've made, the pain that you carry with you on mm-hmm. your back, you know, day in, day out. Mm-hmm. That's very important because if they don't know where you've come from, then the behaviours that you that you behave, what's the word? The behaviours that you express, I suppose. Exhibit. Exhibit day to day. They, they can't necessarily understand your irrational behaviour or your insecurities mm-hmm. or this and that and the other because they don't know why, why they're there. And so it does take quite a lot of emotional intelligence, I think, and Mm -hmm. a lot of self-reflection, maybe journaling, whatever works for you, Mm -hmm. to realize, well, you know what? I I really find it awkward, for example, to sit at the dinner table with the potential in-laws with my boyfriend's parents because, well, you know, my, with my ex, it was very awkward or because I've got social anxiety or because I've had a bad experience. Mm -hmm. If you can sort of be upfront with the why, Mm -hmm. then the behavior doesn't seem as rude or as. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so basically when you say being emotionally vulnerable, you're saying you've got to be prepared to tell your story, to tell who you are, Mm. to reveal a little bit about some of that brokenness, some of that hurt that is within you, some of the sensitivities you have and the reasons behind them. But obviously you're only going to do that <laughs> when you feel safe, aren't well, you? Exactly, yeah. Uh, yes, and I'd, I'd say that's the other prong of emotional vulnerability, which mm. is good communication. And everyone talks about good communication. Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> yep. buzzword of the century. But I was actually listening to a sermon. It's by a man called Chip Ingram. He's an American pastor. Mm-hmm. He's got a podcast on Spotify and um, he talks about communication as being the meeting of meanings. Whoa. So often, you know, you'll say to someone, oh, you know, I really don't like it when you do that. And they'll be like, oh, sorry, I won't do that again, for example. But then they go and do it again and then you resent them and there's sort of like this unspoken, yeah, I, told I told you, like I've, yeah. I've communicated that with you. But the issue with that is that you might have told them explicitly and the communication may have been clear, but there was no meeting of meanings. There was no why. Mm. There was no sort mm-hmm. of emotion in what you were saying. And so unless you can really... And often that comes from like a having to turn the conversation back on you. It's like, well, I really find it difficult when you do this rather than why do you always do this all the time? Like I've told yep. you a million times. Yep. This is what they call uh, I messages. I, I messages, and, exactly. Yeah, give I messages. Uh, yeah. Wow. It's not about what yeah. you made me do. It's, mm. it's about I feel this way because I have this history and yeah. 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 And when you do that be it fair or be it not, I tend to respond. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. But also when you are expressing these weaknesses, it's a really good test of someone's character. Mm -hmm. Because if you are vulnerable, straight up, you know whether they're going to accept you straight up. Mm -hmm. And so... You can save a lot of mucking You can save a lot lot of mucking about. But the issue is, the real issue, is that when, especially young girls I see getting into relationships, Mm -hmm. they're very insecure, very, very insecure. And so Mm -hmm. they're not able to look at their weaknesses from an objective perspective. They're not able to say, oh, you know what? I'm really bad at this, but it doesn't define me. Mm -hmm. They think that everything that they're bad at and all their weaknesses, like the shame, you know, kicks Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And so they're not willing to... They got to hide it. Shift the blame. They got to shift the blame. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they're not willing to open up. So I think it does take a lot of, a bit of maturity to really enter into a relationship and until you reach the point where you're like well I have all these weaknesses but I can I know my worth Mm. and for me that worth comes through Jesus Christ through knowing that even though I'm a sinner even though I have 
nothing going for me in reality. Mm. He loves me anyway, therefore I'm deserving of love. Mm. That's really where the rubber hits the road. Wow. So, so that spiritual foundation like un- underlies everything. Like you're made Absolutely. in you're made in the image of God, mm-hmm. male and female. Mm. You're precious in his sight no matter whether you're single, married, yep. divorced, mm. broken up in a fetal position on the floor. <laughs> oh, no. <You're>, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, you're uh. still yeah, you're still inherently precious and that's yes. that's a pretty firm foundation to base that self-concept mm. on and mm. a place from which you can be vulnerable I guess isn't it definitely it's definitely harder than it sounds that's the thing yep. because I think a lot of Christians and a lot of people in general you know they talk about self-worth and they talk about finding your worth in Christ for Christians but mm. often often it's all talk it's not until you really go through a difficult experience whatever that looks like that you really are challenged to internalize it so mm. um mm. Yeah, I think I'm very grateful for breakups and for pain because it makes wow. you a stronger person. <laughs> grateful for breakups. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but, but honestly, I can see that from you. I, I sense that some of these insights that you have, you never mm. would have had oh. if you hadn't gone through that. No way. And that's funny how that works, isn't it? That um, yeah. you know, what what is really painful is actually something that grows us and and we can learn from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those insights as well with self-worth and things, they haven't just been localized to a relationship setting mm-hmm. for me. It's been really interesting seeing that my confidence now that I've sort of been broken and realized my true worth and mm-hmm. been through the stuff, my confidence has really grown in like social scenarios and, mm-hmm. and just like day-to-day life. You sort of come out of your shell a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah. That's great. Because you're like, <laughs> yeah. what's the worst that can happen? I've, oh, already, exactly. I, I've already been through a lot worse. So. I got through that. I can get through anything. <laughs> that's right. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. And look, I, I really hope that if there are some people perhaps in in your demographic who are listening, who are, you know, in the early stages of relationship or maybe broken up and wondering, you mm. know, what what next, what's going on, that they will, you know, find courage from the some of that wisdom that, that you've um, oh, shared wisdom. with us today. I think <laughs> I don't it's know if wisdom. I call it <laughs> I think it's wisdom. Yeah. So no, thank you very much, Mary Ellen Fairfax. Really appreciate your oh. time and and being vulnerable oh, with y- us. You're welcome. It's the secret to true connection. So I thank you for having me, Kent, and I hope my rambling helps someone. <laughs> Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.